Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Brothers and sisters in Christ. What, you don't think I can do it? The boy says on top of his bike at the top of the hill, and there's a makeshift ramp at the bottom of the hill. He has just announced his intention to speed down the hill, go off that ramp, glide gracefully into the perfect backflip, and land with poise and confidence. But his friends at the bottom of the hill are laughing at him because they do not share his vision. They see him going down the hill as fast as he can, going off that ramp, but they see something else happening next. The best case scenario is a scraped knee. But their doubts spur him on. When they voice that they don't think he can do it, it adds fuel to the fire. So he he says, you don't think I can do it, as he gets ready to go down that hill. Now he's got to do it, right? Doubt seems to spur us on. Someone voices their doubts in us. It, it puts all the chips on the table. Everything's on the line. Now we have to prove our doubters wrong. An NBA all-star, after winning, the, winning a game, will have a reporter stick a microphone in his face, and he'll say, I want to take a second to thank everyone who doubted me in my life, because you gave me the confidence I needed to be my best. To prove you wrong. But in that scenario, the problem is with the doubters, isn't it? You mean to tell me that you saw this young man before he got into the NBA, genetically gifted, obviously very athletic, and you doubted that he was going to go places? The problem's with the doubter, not the doubtee, if you want to say that. Because it's an entirely different thing. If we're standing at the top of a hill about to make a jump and that we've done a million times before and someone thinks that we can't do it, well, they're going to see in just a second. It's different, then, though, than standing at the top of the hill not sure of ourselves if we can do it, and then someone expresses their doubts. When people say, you can't do this, and it mirrors, it matches a doubt we have about ourselves. That does something to us. That triggers something inside ourselves that motivates us, that that demands that we prove our doubters wrong. Now, if one of you came up to me after the service and said, Pastor, I don't think you could make a jump like that yourself. I don't think you could go off a ramp and do a backflip yourself. I don't feel like I need to prove you wrong because I know I can't. The problem is that having that skill suffices to say, is not all that important. I don't feel the need to be able to do a backflip off of a ramp. But if you express doubt in me for something I need to do, something that is very important, if you said, I don't think you could be a good father or a good husband or a good citizen, that's an entirely different story. When someone doubts that we can accomplish something we know is very important, that's different. What's the most important thing to do with yourself, with your life? It's to be a good person, to be a good, morally upright person, to have no one be able to say anything against you. But are you a good person? There's a lot of doubts, isn't there? 
There are people in your life who would be happy to bring up things that you've done against them that show that you're not that great of a person. But you don't need to go to them, right? You have that accuser in your own heart that says, yeah, I'm not that great of a person. Aren't we living life with something to prove? Like we're trying to prove everyone else wrong about us, but above that we're trying to prove our own doubter in our hearts wrong about us. We're trying to prove to ourselves, yeah, I'm actually a good person. And the way that we do that, the way that we try to silence our doubts is maybe we'll overblow the good things that we do. That time that I gave a couple bucks to someone in need, I'm going to pretend that that was putting as good as putting my life on the line, taking a bullet for someone. Or I will minimize the bad that I have done. The very real sins that I've committed, I'll just explain those. I'll sweep those under the rug. Those aren't that bad. Trust me. Now, what do a scientist, a jury, and a detective all have in common? Their job is to look at objective evidence and make their conclusions, make their judgments, right? If a scientist has a bias, has an axe to grind, has something in their heads that they already want to prove, that's going to affect the way they look at everything. If a jury gets subjective, lets their feelings take over, their emotions take over, they might convict the wrong person. If a detective has his eyes set on a particular suspect, he's only going to look at the evidence that can help him arrest that suspect, right? We all look at ourselves, the evidence of our life, with a bias. We all want so desperately to prove that we're all right, that we're good people. But really, if we took an objective look at the evidence, at the things we have done and left undone, at the mark we're leaving on the world, the evidence is pretty damning, isn't it? So what do we do? Can we just admit that we are weak people? Can we afford to admit that we are not that great of people, that we haven't been a good person? Well, you see what the world does to you if you do that. If you expose your flaws and your sins, the world will chew you up and spit you out because everyone else is on the same journey that has the same mission to prove themselves as good people. So if they can grab you and expose your flaws and make themselves look better than you, they're going to do it. If we admit our weaknesses, that we are but bruised reeds, unable to stand up on our own, that we are about as good as a smoldering wick on a candle, can't light up the room or provide any light, if we admit it, will we get chewed up and spit out? Will we get thrown out on the trash heap? Not if God has anything to say about it. Because God gave a prophecy through the prophet Isaiah about a servant. And this servant has nothing to prove to anybody. Look at his credentials. Here's my servant, God says, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he'll bring justice to the nations. This servant that God is talking about is the NBA all-star who has no reason to be doubted at all. If anyone doubts this servant, the problem is with the doubter, not with 
the servant. Because look at him. He is God's servant. He is enlisted in the service of God himself. He has a direct audience with God. He has God's delight. In order for God to delight in you, you must be pretty great. He is God's chosen one, the Messiah, the one set apart to accomplish God's mission of bringing justice into the world. And how is this servant, this Messiah, going to accomplish his mission of bringing justice into the world? Is he coming with a sword? Is he going to cut off the heads of every one of his doubters? And is he going to throw us in the trash heap for being weak and sinful and lost? Now look at what he will do. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. The world is so quick to judge, isn't it? So quick to condemn. If you show your weakness, the world will point it out and they will crucify you for it. Your own heart is so quick to doubt yourself, so quick to struggle and to think that all is lost. But Jesus sees you, all of you, every part of you. He sees those outward things that the rest of the world see, sees about you, but he also sees what the world can't see. He also sees your heart struggling to move forward, beaten down by what life has done to you, beaten down by your own inability to be the good person you know you need to be. Jesus knows everything about you, but what is he going to do to you, you bruised reed, you smoldering wick? He will not snuff you out. He loves you too much. He is not going to throw you out. He is not going to cut you off, break you off. And he's not going to punish you for being weak. He is going to serve a punishment for your weakness. He will take on the punishment that your sins deserve because he has come to bring justice. He has come to put accounts to right between you and God but not to cause you to suffer. Today being Palm Sunday, we remember when Jesus sat on the back of a donkey and rode to Jerusalem. What a picture of someone with nothing to prove to anybody. He knew who he was, and some people even recognized it. He knew he was God's son, the Messiah. He didn't have to prove it to anyone. But he was riding to Jerusalem, with nothing to prove, to prove to you that he loves you. Nothing was going to deter him from making that trip. Even though Jesus, as he sat on the back of that donkey, knew exactly what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, he could picture perfectly the nails, the whips, the spit, the insults, the death that was headed for him, and nothing veered him off course. He had no time, no moment where he said to himself, ooh, I don't know if I can do this, because he knew he had to, to save you from your sins. Jesus had nothing to prove 
but he is happy to prove that you are saved, that you are loved. What more proof do you need? Simply look at the cross of Christ and you see the eternal mercy of God. Simply look at what Jesus has done for you and you see how valued and loved you are in Christ. When the world is quick to condemn, when your own heart is quick to condemn, run to Christ because he has proved to you that you are saved through his name alone. And because Jesus lived with nothing to prove to anybody, you can too. If your own heart condemns you, asks you to prove that you're a good person, you know that you're not. You know that you're not worthy to sit in the captain's chair of your life and steer this ship. You know that you can't handle everything that life throws at you. But that's okay. It's okay to admit that you're weak. It's okay to admit that you are a bruised reed because you have Jesus. And he's not going to snuff you out. No, instead, he's going to be your strength. Jesus is worthy to sit in the captain's chair. He can handle your life. Rely on him. You don't have to prove anything to yourself or anybody else because you have Jesus. But if we would keep living life like we had something to prove, then we would show that our hope is in ourselves, in our own ability. To, to stand and control and be confident and be strong, but you already know that there's not a whole lot of strength in here. And through Jesus, it's okay to admit that. Through Jesus, it's okay to say you don't have it all together. The world will give you advice and say, all you got to do is dig deep, find your courage, find your strength, find your confidence. You got to go soul searching. You got to find somewhere the strength to go on but we already know there's not a whole lot in there there's just more unworthiness more sin so if you're going to dig deep into anything dig deep into the teaching of god's servant jesus christ dig deep and search in the teaching of jesus because isaiah says it is in his teaching the islands will put their hope to the mind of an Israelite hearing these words for the first time, the islands were some faraway people, some people the Israelites had never heard of. They were going to come to this servant, learn his teaching, and put their hope in him. So guess what, brothers and sisters? You are the fulfillment of prophecy. You are the islands, the people the Israelites have never heard of, and you have come to the servant of God to hear his teaching and to put your hope in it, and to let him prove on the, on the words, on the pages of the Bible, time and time again, that you are loved and saved, that you are fully forgiven. See, God never had anything to prove to anyone. He's God, but he is happy to prove to you that he loves you, and he'll do that this week. So join us. Amen.